Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church as the body of Christ and institution can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice. family uh, this is another day another honor to host one of africa's greatest daughters um i've known her as the mother to my lecturer but in other occasions i've known her as a great african leader as a great global leader i have been very fortunate to sit with her uh, at the kitchen table I've been scolded by her, which is amazing. <laughs> I've been uh, prayed for by her and I've been uh, encouraged by her. So I am very honored to be in conversation with Auntie Esme Bowers. Karibu sana, Auntie Esme. Thank you. So Auntie Esme, please introduce uh, yourself to the people. And also, I'd like you to share with us something that brings you joy and something that brings you sorrow. Okay, well, my name is Esme Powers. I live in Cape Town. I'm married. I've got one husband. I've got one daughter. I've got one granddaughter and one son-in-law and two black cats. And that's what I share my house with. Um, I have been a pastor for many, many years. I've just retired at the end of last year. When COVID came, we had already planned to retire. So at this moment, I am in retirement, but not in retirement from ministry, just in retirement from being a pastor at a church, doing all the organizational things. At this stage of my life, I find that I don't have all the energy and we need young people alongside us. So one of my key passions is to develop young people and to see them grow into who God wants them to be. I, um, I am, as I said, in, living in Cape Town, I do lots of things, but I also work now for the World Evangelical Alliance. We service over 650 million Christians around the world, the evangelical Christians, and I'm the director of a department called Church in Community, where we actually engage with churches and provide ministry help to promote healthy churches. So that's what I do in the World Evangelical Alliance. I also work in South Africa with the South African Evangelical Alliance, TISA, and I chair that board and I work with a women's commission, particularly around the issue of women abuse and leadership development. So those are my two foci in, in that area. And then I work with another organization called Terza. I lead the department or project called leadership development. And we work in countries all around the world developing key women leaders. So that's what I do for now. What gives me joy is to see young people move into a space where God can use them where they are. At this stage of my life, at 70 years old, 
I really need to make sure that there are godly women following behind me, walking mm -hmm. alongside me and walking ahead of me. So that is something that gives me great joy is to see these women rise and become people God can use to transform the world. What saddens me is the disparity between the rich and the poor. I am passionate about advocacy issues. I've always been a social activist and a political activist to make sure that we have transformation. And now as I've got older and thought more about it, I've been able to bring God's word into all of my thinking. And so when I see poor people, when I see people suffering, this makes me extremely sad. But it must not only just make me sad, but it must push me to do something more. And so as a person of influence at this time of my life, in many spheres of society, I am making sure that I can do something to alleviate some of that poverty that I see around the world. The other issue that saddens me is the issue of abuse, women abuse. And I have been involved in working against this for the past oh, 30 years. And um, it's a long time to fight this battle. And it's not an African battle, it's a global battle. And we around the world are holding hands as women to say, how can we fight the scourge of women abuse? And the sad thing is that it is as prevalent in society as it is in the parsonage. So how can we address this issue to alleviate the suffering of women at the hands of their partners or their spouses or their families? So some of these are some of the issues that actually sadden me. Thanks, Carol, for giving me this opportunity to be part of your program. I'm excited to share some of my journey with you. And so you are free to ask me whatever questions you want to. Uh, thank you, Auntie Esme. So um, one, I have sat with you and I know you have so many stories. You have such a wide range of experience. I, I would be honored today. I want us to, to learn about your leadership journey and um, how does a woman like you uh, from growing up in apartheid South Africa end up to be uh, where you are with uh, a global reach that you have? What, what has your journey been? How has it been? What has been the highs? What have been the lows of your journey? And um, also we talk about gender disparity in leadership and so, and so many other things. So my first question to you, Auntie Esme, is when did you first discover that you're a leader? When I was at school, you know, I grew up during the struggle years, the anti-apartheid struggle years. And um, I come from a very politically aware family. And there was this whole issue around the stayaways at school for the government to know that children also objected to Afrikaans becoming one of the languages that they wanted to teach us in. And so there was a stay away and I was at high school. I was in my second last year at high school and I led the strike, the stay away at my school. 
organized that the buses wouldn't drop people off. I had people at bus points, I had people at the stations, I had people at the bottom of the road that the children don't walk up, that we send them back home. And I didn't realize that I could do all of this and I had all of this influence. But as soon as I began to talk to people about this, they actually listened. And so I thought, well, you know what, Ah, this was a pretty good effort. So this is my beginning journey. But the real journey that I started on was at the age of 15, I was invited to teach in a Sunday school class and to join a teacher training class. And you know, all ministries start somewhere and mine started in the Sunday school. And can you believe it? 55 years later, I still have this passion for Sunday mm -hmm. school, for educating young children, for getting them to know God's word. Mm. So that's where it started at 15. At the age of 18, our Sunday school superintendent got married and she left to go and her husband was a minister. So she left and I grew up in the Methodist church. So they had an election and the minister came to do the election. And um, at the end of the day, I was elected as the Sunday school superintendent at 18 years old by all my teachers. Mm -hmm. When we were finished, he called me aside and he said, Esme, I want to tell you three things. Firstly, you know that this group of people, 45 of them voted for you. We were a big Sunday school. Five mm -hmm. of them did not vote for you. So watch out for them. You are here to be a servant. You're not here to be a boss. At 18 years old, you can think this is now big shakes. Mm -hmm. You are here to serve these people. You are to do it in humility. And mm -hmm. if you do it like that, they will all come onto your side. You are to serve the children. We had a Sunday school of 300 children. You are to serve the parents. You are to serve whoever. That's an important aspect of who you're going to become in the future. I never knew I'm going to become this person. But he took me aside very, 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 very strategically. He said, the second thing is, I want you to be a person of integrity. You must be honest before God. You live your life openly before God. You hear from God and you have the courage to do what is right in the face of all kinds of opposition. So you speak out God's voice. And that became something that gave me so much courage to do what is right in the face of opposition of other people. And the last thing he said to me is, you must love people like Jesus loves people. And it doesn't matter, people are going to come up against you. Not everybody's going to be on your side. Not everybody's going to agree with you. But I believe that if you take these three things, they will stand you in good stead. So here am I today, over 50 years later, still being able to articulate these three things so clearly. And they've become who I am in the way that I give leadership to where I am. And so my leadership in that Sunday school gave me an opportunity to understand organization because I moved then onto the church leadership board. Can you imagine 18 year old girl moving onto the church leadership board 52, 53 years ago it was unheard of. But yeah. God prepares one for something that you can't believe what he's preparing you for. When I married my husband, I had already had so much training in how to work with people within 
a local church situation. My husband was a pastor. I'd already been trained in Sunday school work. I'd been trained in youth work. I'd been trained in a whole lot of range of skills that the Methodist Church created for me. And so when I did come into my local church, it was another opportunity for me to serve God in the way that he said. So even though I left my one church, joined another church, I was able to serve God in that space. And you know, leadership, as I say, is a journey. How did I become the person that became open to the world? It also started in my community. Mm. Um, I, I worked with a group of women in the sub-economic community where our church was. And these were women ministers' wives. And we were during the struggle years trying to find a way to help to develop the women to become change agents. And you know that word very clearly, change agents in our community. Even then, that's what we spoke about. And so I was the youngest out of all of them. But I brought them together and I said, let's talk, let's pray. And we started praying for our community. And then we saw that we needed to have skills. And so slowly we grew into the space where we could engage our communities as a group of women. And so there was another skill that I learned how to work with women, what women can do if they put their hands together and join their hearts together. And that has been very, very significant in my growth, just working in that community. It's a sub-economic community, but we had a passion for God. We loved each other and we served our community together. So that was the beginning of my leadership journey. Wow, it is me. And I... I hear from you how important it is for even when you're self-led for others to affirm your leadership journey as well. And then for you to do it in a community that, um, that knows you, that understands you, that you grow together. So would you maybe, um, I know you, you've been chronicle your journey. So you, from, I'd love, um, I'd love for us to have an understanding of, I know you won't mention all the places that you've led in. <laughs> I know there are so many, but uh, for perspective, could you help us understand from the, was it the seventies? Yes. To, to now, 2022. Where have you gone? What, who have you led? Okay, so firstly, I want to say that I, my first profession is as a fashion designer. So that's my first profession. And I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I became a business manager. So all those skills also contributed to who I am. You know how we are. We just want to jump into ministry. But you need to be able to know where you've come from and how you've acclimatized and got all these skills. Part of my journey also was studying, studying theology, studying counseling, studying to understand things. So a lot of it was about studying. And, you know, sometimes when you are in ministry like I was in a local church, in working, because pastors, you know, pastors don't earn all that money. Their wives need to work to be able to get on in life. I did all of that. 
And so you don't always have the opportunity to go to university to do, but you can educate yourself. And I must say that my education has also been through a lot of women that I have come across throughout the, my journey. And particularly, I want to say in Africa. And here I must highlight two key movements that have transformed my thinking and who I am. Firstly, is PACWA, the Pan-African Christian Women's Alliance. And when I was met with these women in 1990 for the first time in Zomba in Malawi at Zomba University, it was the first time I got a passport to travel outside from South Africa because before, because of my political involvement, I was not allowed to get a passport. So I went to this women's conference in Zomba I met a woman called Esme Chombo. She's now Justice Esme Chombo. I met Judy Mbukwa. I met women there. And I saw women, Eva Sanderson, Inonga Lebronika. I met women who were really changing the world and had a heart and passion for Africa. Coming from Cape Town, we weren't exposed to Africans that thought that way. That was mm -hmm. so forward thinking. And they actually helped shape my thinking into who I am today. And they've given me a passion for Africa. I'm African, yes. But for the rest of Africa, because in South Africa, we had been so cut off from the rest of the world. Then there was the other area, the circle of African female theologians. who mm -hmm. were, They were also born in 19 in 1989 both these movements were born in 1989 and they were more theological and so they were academic they were thinking about feminism whereas Pacwa was more thinking about how to transform the continent of Africa in a very practical way and so here are these two movements that have influenced me that have shaped me that have given me a passion for Africa so you want me to tell my African stories and I know that's what you want to hear but this is open doors. These two organizations have opened doors for me to move into spaces that I wouldn't have had entry to. There's also been Africa Enterprise. I served as the chairperson in South Africa for 19 years, and I also worked with emissions, so they also opened doors. So I've worked in many countries, and I think you want to hear some of the stories that I have encountered and where God has taken me, because you know, you never know where God is taking you. You just have to prepare yourself for service. Mm -hmm. And it's not about where, if, what's the top or what's the bottom, but how best do I serve? So I want to share a story in 1992. It was the, no, 2002. The Democratic Republic of Congo was still at war. The church in the Congo called me and asked me, Esme, will you start a prayer movement for DRC amongst the women? We will call the women together. You just need to come. So I had to raise the money to come. And I went, when I flew in, I was on the airplane sitting next to a man. And he said to me, You've come from Cape Town because we were on the same flight from Cape Town to Johannesburg and then from Johannesburg to Kinshasa. He said, where are you going to? I said, I'm going to start a prayer movement in Kinshasa. He said, woman, are you mad? Do you know that they are at war? 
I said, well, God has called me to do this. He said, look, I don't think you know what you're letting yourself in for. I mm -hmm. own five telecommunications companies. Here are my cards. If anything happens to you, phone me. I'll come mm -hmm. and get you out. I thought this man's being rather dramatic about all of this, mm -hmm. not knowing what I was letting myself in for. Little while later, he says, do you speak French? I said, no. He says, do you speak Lingari? I said, no. He said, so how are you going to manage? I said, somebody will be there to pick me up and I'll be fine. He said, okay, I'll tell you what, you just hang with me when we get off the plane and I'll take you through the airport. You've never been through an airport like this ever in your life. You have no idea what you're letting yourself in for. Mm. When we got off the plane, standing at the bottom of the plane was a bishop in his purple robes and my name waiting for me. He turned to me, he said, yo, the angels must be looking after you. <laughs> well, I could then understand the challenge that he would have had and taken me through with regards to the going through customs because it was really a journey. When we flew in, the army was around the airport. It was really, everything was pockmarked with bullet holes. You could really see this country was at war. I was taken to a con complex and they opened the door of a house for me, which they had cleaned. And they said to me, these had been houses that people had been, missionaries had been staying in and they'd gone back home to America. So we're giving you this one little house. We're opening this one bedroom for you, a lounge, a kitchen, and it had a bathroom in it. Let me tell you, what you need to do. Always have a bucket of water because this water is erratic. Always make sure that you can know where your matches are so that you can light the candles because the lights go off all the time. And you know what they did? It was a Sunday afternoon. They left me there and disappeared. Yeah. Well, the lights went off and the water didn't run. Fortunately, I had some food with me and they came back about four hours later to come and bring me something to eat. But then I could see that we were really in a war-torn country. They said the next morning, we're picking you up at eight o'clock in the morning. The roads were terrible. I can tell you it shook your guts out because they were potholes and really we were in a four by four, but to get to the venue was a challenge. Eight o'clock, they picked me up. When I arrived at the church, Everything was quiet. The gates, they opened the gates. There was not a soul in the grounds. It was a huge church. I walked in and I thought to myself, oh, you know, this is a disaster. I've come all the way here. Nobody's coming to you. And when I walked through the church, it was packed with women. Packed. 2,600 women had been invited and had come and traveled for two, three days to be at that conference to learn how to pray for their country. I was shocked and it was hot and I got up and behind me, they introduced me to all the bishops and the archbishop and all the leaders that were sitting behind me on the platform. Very short, they sang one song and they introduced me and there I stood up with an interpreter that I didn't know at all. And I stood and I said, Lord, I tell you, I started shaking. I said, Lord, what am I doing here? 
-hmm. Lord said very clearly to me, I've brought you here to do my will. Just do what I tell you to do. Well, I had thought that I'm coming to a small group of people that I was going to teach pray and I would brought my cookies and I brought my flip chart. But yeah. I tell you, in that huge church, that meant nothing. These yeah. people were there to listen. Mm. And so I said to myself, the first thing I will do before I teach them about prayer, I will teach them about how to know Christ and if they had a personal relationship with Christ. So I told them about what it meant to be a Christian, to become a Christian, if they've given their full lives to Christ, because if they wanted to be praying, they needed to know the person that they were praying for, and this person and them needed to have a relationship. And so I shared the gospel. I just stood quietly, Carol. I didn't preach like a mad Pentecostal woman. I just stood quietly and I shared the gospel very aware that there were about 25 men behind me, extremely critical to hear what this woman from South Africa was going to come and teach their women. Mm. And when I was finished, for after an hour and a half, I said, right now you've heard it. If there's anybody here who's never received Christ into their life as their savior, I would like you to put up your hand. Oh, lots of hands went up. I thought, no, this is madness. So I said, just hold it. For the first time, if you've never received Christ into your life, only if you've never asked Jesus into your life, I want you to come to the front. Just come out of your seat. Well, the people who worked with me were very, very meticulous about counting. And you know how French people can make sure that everything is right. They said to me afterwards, 352 people came out that day, that morning to receive Christ. Now, I'd come there to come and do training in prayer. Here, I start a mission where 350 people come to know the Lord. When I was, when they came out, I turned to the back and I said to the men, will you come and deal with these people and lead them to Christ? Well, I, the lady who was busy doing the interpreting and the lady who was the MC, she said, Esme, come to the back, come and sit down for a little bit. You've been standing for almost two hours now, come and sit down. And they, all they could give me was a Coke. That's all they had. There wasn't very much else to eat. And I stood at the back with the people and I said to myself, I wonder, I wonder how this is going to impact this nation. Well, at the end of that, they, the men came back to the back. They each got their cool drink and they began sharing with me, those who spoke English, the wonders that God had done, the deliverance that God had done. Even amongst those people, were people who were practicing traditional religion and were not Christians and had just come and they'd made a commitment. So here we have a whole group of people. Well, I taught there for a week. The food was non-existent because there was no food. I can tell you what I had every day for lunch was a handful of peanuts and a Coke. And then one day somebody went home and they found some flour and they baked some little cookies and I had that for lunch and on the last day they had found a chicken and they fried it you know how we can fry it so crispy that you can eat everything on it 
and we shared that one chicken amongst 15 of us. That's how bad things were. What I lived on there was fruit that we could buy along the road. Eggs cost a dollar each because there was no food. Bread was almost non-existent, but it was such a powerful opportunity for me to share the gospel and to inspire a whole nation to rise up and pray for their transformation. But of course, you know, with me, it's not only about praying. It's about what do you do once you finish praying? What do you see the problems in your community? So I can tell you the last day was them doing a social scan on what the problems were in their own communities, which they went back to. And how are they going to raise up prayer warriors, but also people who are going to transform their communities. A year later, they invited me back to do leadership training, which I did for another five days with them. Two years later, I went back again to do a mission with Africa Enterprise. And I was invited by the same people who had run the women's conference to meet with the women parliamentarians. They were busy writing the new constitution and they wanted me to meet their women parliamentarians. What an opportunity. I again shared the gospel with these women and I shared how God can use them because righteousness exalts a nation. And if they were righteous and set the right tone, God would come in and work in their nation. And they, many of them came to know the Lord. And at the end of it, the speaker of the house, who was a woman, asked me, she said to me, now after this, what do we do as a group of women? And I said, the Lord just said to me, tell them to start a prayer meeting in Parliament. So I said, why don't you start a prayer meeting in Parliament? Pray for your country. You know, as much as you're now going to serve God, but also pray. And uh, they went back. And the following day, the rest of the team that I was with, the men, they were meeting the men in Parliament. So they said to me, don't you want to come along with us? You know, we're going to have a nice lunch afterwards. So join us. Of course, you know, I go with. I was the only woman on the team. And when we got there, there were all these men parliamentarians all dressed up in their suits and the men did their thing. And at the end of it, they asked the men if they got any questions. They didn't even ask them if they wanted to know the Lord. They said, do you have any questions? And this one man put his hand up and he said, I want to speak to that lady. Is that the lady that spoke to the women yesterday? And they said, yes. He said, um, we want to know, can men join the prayer meeting in parliament? I said, yes, certainly. And as a result of that, that prayer meeting continued for almost 10 years after that. Every beginning of the year, I would get a little email to say, prayer continues in Parliament. But you see, if I just said, I'm just a poor woman, what can I do? It's too expensive. I don't speak French. I don't understand the culture, the food. I mean, I can tell you, I lost seven kilos by the time I got back home on each trip because the food was not really familiar to me. And it was a challenge because there wasn't very much food, but that didn't matter. If I see what has happened as a result, I went back there again in the Congo because I read, God has really put that nation on my heart. And I met with what they call the, the two patus, which are the prostitutes to the soldiers. And they took me to the place where these prostitutes were now living. And I saw these women 
And I looked at the eyes and they almost had no souls because they had been so degraded. They had no self-esteem. They lived in a terrible situation. And that, that very next month, I was going to Canada to speak at a conference. And I know Canada, that, that, that conference was French speaking. And in my heart, I said, I'm going to raise up funds for these women to be able to be seen to. And I'd met the women who were going to lead this project in the Congo. When I got to the conference, I, in part of my speaking, I said, if anybody's interested in helping the Congo, need to be French speaking, please come and see me afterwards. Well, five women came, they were all friends, very rich. I told them the situation. I said, here's the context. I don't have to know anything about anything. You go on it from here. And they actually bought a farm, established a rehab in the Congo and are working with these people in the Congo. And you know, it's just God taking one person whose eyes are open and your ears are open and being God's hands and feet. And so my story of going into the Congo is a very significant one in my life because it's helped me understand the challenges of war, of working in a country when you don't know the language, the food is different, the challenges of transport is huge. And the last time I went back there, the ambassador from South Africa to Congo was a friend of mine, unbeknown to me. Mm. And when I arrived at the airport, here was this very fancy car picking me up and I wanted to know where, who this guy was. And he said, well, he comes from the South African embassy. I said, but why, why is the South African embassy picking me up? Mm -hmm. I was a little bit anxious about that. And then he said to me who the person's name was. And he said, we would really like you to come and stay at, at the embassy. I said, no, mm -hmm. I can't stay at the embassy because my work is amongst the people and they won't have access to me. I have a place and I have a guest house that I go to. I sit under the tree and people come and I mentor them and I share with them and I encourage them. And so thank you very much. But if you want to invite me for supper every night, that I can do because it was it was just like about three three minutes walk up the road that I could go and they would yeah. send a car for me so at least I had a place where I'd supper. So that's my Congolese story. Singi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89:14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website, www.msikitrust.org, follow us on all our social media handles at Trust, or email us on info at msikitrust.org. I've also been, Carol, if you want me to go on, to Liberia. Oh, I want yeah, to Liberia. Awesome. Okay, because I, I, I'm hearing quite a number of um, conversations and maybe you can add this to your Liberia story. I'm hearing, um, as I think through what the leadership journey looks like for many of us, is that it's a call to the unknown and a surrender. To, yes. to God, it's a call to the unknown. And I've had that as I've started up with Msingi, you just know what God has said, you know what needs to be done. You do not know, you go into places where you're, or you, you, you're left 
with questions of food, clothes, and shelter. Yes. But, <laughs> but you know God has called you. You know that this is what needs to be done. And sometimes you put your life in danger because oh, yeah. you, you go into spaces. But there's something that you said in this story that I want to, before we go to your Liberia story, you, you said that um, you were there as a woman and then behind you, there's a lot of men, the bishops and all of them wondering, what is this woman saying? So what hurdles have you had to jump? And I know that is just one. So across your leadership journey, what hurdles, <laughs> what hurdles have you had to jump that your male peers have not? And, um, and your context is in the church, it's in the evangelical church as well. Um, what are those um, challenges you've had to, to jump? And what do women bring into the leadership journey in organizations, in movements, and in networks? Yes, obviously, there's the whole issue of patriarchy. But fortunately, and I want to say this very clearly, we have moved a long way. In the 1990s, this was a very big debate amongst us African women leaders about where we are, who we are. And there were quite a few consultations held where we actually delved deep into God's word to establish who we were as women leaders. And I think one of the things we need to actually know is that we do need the support of each other because there are still some males who feel that they have a right to just be in charge. But there are also many, and especially the newly educated people, they see church as a community, not at, as a place where they just give direction. They see the priesthood of all believers. That's becoming one of the things. And so even the whole idea of patriarchy is slowly disappearing. This is very much in the minds of the people who are over 60, 70, 80, 90. But I can tell you the new young people coming in do not have that same perspective. In fact, they want to open the doors for women. They are married to very effective women and they see that it is better to partner together in ministry than just to have running the church or doing missions or doing work on their own. So there has been a real sensitization over the past 30 years to the role women can play. And I don't see at this time in my life, women being stopped off in Africa from serving God and using their gifts in a spirit of servanthood. I think one of the things that I am really passionate about is helping women realize that we are servants, we are not bosses, we are not to do it like the men did it before, but we must do it gently, we must do it kindly, we must do it in love. And you know, servanthood opens doors for action. It's when we want to come with our need for fame and our need for fortune and our need for being lifted up and wearing a crown. That's when you don't get there. But when you come to serve, I work with key leaders in Africa. Everybody is open to me because I come to serve. I bring God's wisdom when I need to. And that's a wonderful opportunity that there is now. I don't see any glass ceilings, but I can tell you in my life, there were glass ceilings. And I decided that I would pray it through 
I would work it through, I would serve it through. And the reason for that is I had a daughter who I knew God had his hand upon and I wanted to create a space where she could live out her life and all her friends, all her girlfriends could live out their lives under God in a successful way and serve the kingdom. So my passion, I couldn't care about myself really. You know, when you've been through the struggle in apartheid, you know what it is to struggle. But I didn't want to smash down doors where there would always be the anger against this woman who came. I wanted men to open doors. So I walked alongside men, talking with them through the Bible, telling them stories, giving them other opportunities, telling them this is another way you can do it. And when they see that working with me is successful, they can see working with other women would be successful. So my passion has always been to open the doors for other younger women so that when they come along, they will find it so much easier. So Carol, your generation does not have the challenges that my generation had, but we have worked together. We have spoken together as women and we have encouraged each other. So the whole thing is on this journey is to encourage each other to encourage younger people, to encourage older people, to encourage the men, and not to fight the battle. I don't see this as a battle that I'm fighting. And every challenge you turn into an opportunity. Every down can bring you up. So I, when I thought of what are the major things that were my low points, I couldn't even think of them. Because I, I, I have this mindset that you turn the, the bad for good in God's kingdom. That's what he does. What lesson am I learning? What did I learn from this encounter? What am I doing going to do better in the future? So life is, you continually learn. So I never felt in any way, and I think it's because as a young person, I was so empowered by this minister in my life who spoke so clearly to me that I knew that if I followed those three things that he gave me, I would be okay. And mm. I can tell you, I am okay. Sure, there are people that are great against. Sure, there are men who think, who's this woman and what gives her the right to be in this space? But I'm only in this space to serve God. It's not about power. It's not about position. It's about serving the kingdom, holding hands together with other women. You know, Carol, I speak to women under the trees with yeah. a flip chart, 30 women. 20 women, 10 women under a tree. And I speak in huge convention centers to thousands of women. It's the same thing to me. Mm. It's not about where you are. It's what God has called you to do and be. And you know, God will always open doors. If he calls you to something, he will open the door. He will provide everything. I mean, I've been in situations where my life was in danger, I think. But I never saw it as that because I knew that God it called me to that place. And because it called me to that place, he would make sure that I would be okay. And when I come back, I don't tell my family all the things that happened because they would not want me to travel again. Yes. I just lived under the guidance and the protection of God and his angels. And I am just so conscious that he has carried me through all my journey, through all the countries I've worked in in Africa, through all the pain that I've seen, to all the encouragement I've brought to other people. I've just seen God using me in that space. So really, it's, it's nothing is a challenge for me. It's opportunities for growth. Mm, and uh, I keep hearing you coming back to 
the three statements that were taught to you. And, um, and I know we've sort of touched on it, but I'd like to, for you to explain or explore more what's the importance of men mentorship and modeling in leadership to have people whom you're mentoring or who have mentored you or, uh, or people who you're modeling yourself. Uh, do you say modeling yourself? Well, that was a time. Yes. Leading, yes. guiding, mentoring, yes. whatever. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, let me start. And, off with and also, who who is your? Would you say there is one person who you, whose leadership journey you really look look up to? Okay, so here's my story quickly. I told you I when I got married, I worked in a sub-economic community. People were not highly educated but two women came my way in the church that I came into. They were the leaders of the women's ministry, not highly educated, but extremely mature in Christ. And these women taught me what it was like to be a Christian woman. They taught me what it was like to pray. They taught me what it was like to listen to other people's opinions and not think that I was with smarty pants who knew every answer. They taught me what it was like to walk alongside people who were suffering and how to care for them. They taught me what it was like to read the Bible consistently. And so if you talk about mentors, these two women who were just 20 years older than me became my mentors, not academics, not, not people who the world knows, unknowns. But you see, when God puts people into your life with a deep spirituality, he wants you to become like them. And they became my closest friends, my closest confidants for my whole life. Unfortunately, both have passed away now. But they were people who would pray for me when I went on my mission trips, when I went into Africa, when I went around the world. They would, even unbeknown to me, phone my husband and say, where is my now? and they would pray for me. And so these are people who had a deep love for me, a deep passion for the Lord, a deep passion for people to come to know Christ. And they have imparted that into my life. I'm passionate about mentoring people. I'll tell you the story quickly. When I was pregnant with my daughter, I was going to have the next Billy Graham, just waiting for him to be born. In those days, people didn't do all the sonar scans and stuff. You got what you got. So when this child came, it was a girl. What a disappointment to me. And the first morning I sat with this child in my arms, I looked at her and I said, I am going to open every door for you to serve God. You may not be the next Billy Graham, but you will be a girl who will make a mark in God's kingdom in whichever way it is. Not, I wasn't even thinking of a preacher. And this is an opportunity I have to mentor you to become God's servant. And I think, Carol, you know who my daughter is and that I she know. is that person. And yes, so you I, see... I am a huge beneficiary of her wisdom and her love and all, yes. all of that, yeah. Yeah, and so that's reality, you see. You can talk about other people, but talk about yourself. And I've, I grew her to become a servant of the Lord. That was my passion to grow her. And her friends, everybody, you know, when you come to my home, I'm open to everybody. They are passionate about you all. I check you out. What are you doing? Where are you going? How are you doing? 
because I'm passionate about all of you growing to become who God wants you to be. I'm now leading a global program where we have 150 women, young women between the ages of 20 and 35 around the world doing this leadership development, merging leaders program, where we are developing them to become the next world changers. I see these, some of these women become the next presidents, the next mayors, the next United Nations representatives or ambassadors, because they will have the skills not only to live their life well, but also to have a global perspective and so I'm creating space for them to engage with each other in a global space so that we can become world changers. So I'm passionate about raising up the next generation of world changers. And I think one of the other things, especially with young women, is, is relationships and how and who you marry. What's the importance of a um, partner, of the of the partner you marry in your leadership journey? Well, you know, that's a difficult one you're asking because I'm not a genie that knows everybody's needs. Mm -hmm. And some people are driven by their, their hormones. And so they don't make good, good decisions because their hormones are all jumping up and down. And so mm -hmm. I'm always saying to women, wait, do your first degree and do your second degree and you'll have enough sense by then to know the kind of person that you should marry. It's very difficult for me to say who you should marry, but when you are immature, you can make the wrong decisions. And mm -hmm. so when you are older, you're looking for somebody who will be your partner in ministry, who will support you. I could never do what I'm doing without my partner because he prays for me he empowers me allows me to go even though he doesn't know half the things I'm doing and if you were to ask him what do I do he can't even explain what I'm doing but mm -hmm. it's this whole coming together and so how do you find your partner you have to pray mm -hmm. you have to hear from God you've got to be wise you've got to be looking for what is God saying to you who is the person and don't just jump into any relationship just because the guy looks good and it looks like he's got a fancy car and he's going to have a house and he's got a great job and he's going to have lots of money. That doesn't bring happiness. And, you know, kingdom people are very different. You need money for the work of the kingdom. <laughs> God will, it's not through those people. God will send the money. You will be amazed. I can tell you, if I think of the amount of money I've spent on the work that I've done, God opens mm -hmm. the door and he will send people alongside you to give you this $20 and $100 and whatever so don't look to the man for the money as a plea please that's not <laughs> what it's about <laughs> yes and I think I, I I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek because most of us say most of us say is that you need uh the a ministry sponsor who will be now his money, your money, so that now that's your ministry money. But I think I've found that for most leaders, whether male or female, who you marry really can change or can make or break your ministry and your, and your relationship with God and with the work that God has called you. <sighs> so thank you very much. Uh, as we are winding up, I'll, I'd like you to tell to share with me what you think is the future of women leadership in the world, what are the challenges and opportunities, and also what, what words, what final words of advice would you give to us? Well, I, the, the, the role of women is going to be whatever they want it to be. 
Women make their own destiny today. None of us are, are put in a box anymore. We have all jumped out of that box and we are free to be what God wants us to be. So whatever your role is, you just need to take it and grab it and commit yourself to God's ways and he will open the door. There will always be women in leadership, particularly in today's world where all the governments are now saying 50% of women representation in government. And so let me tell you, in the church, we need every woman to stand up and be what God wants them to be. Whether they need to be skilled, they need to be trained, they need to step up there and not just stand in a gap, but also be able to have the skills to do the right work. So that's what I'm thinking about when I think of the future of leader, women leadership. It's what God, what just be open to what God wants you to be. I know that even all of us, as you listen to this, you're thinking, well, maybe, you know, she started here, where am I? God can start in your life right now and take you on a journey that you never thought you would go. God opens doors for you. And so my wisdom to you today is see the doors that God is opening and walk through them. You will not know what happens behind that door. But when God takes you through a door, he will empower you. He will give you everything you need to do what he needs you to do behind that door. And when he is finished using you, he will tell you to come back out again and he'll close the door. Over my life's journey, I've walked through doors and I've walked back again. So you're never in one space forever. It's a time that you are there. And just be open to that. So many people think that this is going to be my life's journey forever. You do different things at different stages of your life. There is the whole thing of different stages of your life. Be open to what God is doing at this stage of your life where you are and look to the future. Empower yourself to be a competent servant of God's kingdom for the future. God is using women all over. As I travel around the world, as I work with women, I see very capable, competent people. And I want to tell you that African women are the key today to what God is doing. Unfortunately, the West have really struggled. They still struggle. They're angry. But when I work with African women, we are gentle. We are open to God. We know who we are. We have a confidence in who God has created us to be. And so let us African women step out with boldness with faith, knowing that God loves us unconditionally and as a purpose for our lives. Mm. Or in my activist circles, there's a chant that we say when we are psyching ourselves up. Uh, it's a, uh, one person says, African women on the front line. And then we say, organize, educate, liberate, celebrate. Hey, that's it. <laughs> yes. I like so that African one. African women on the front line. We organize, we liberate, we celebrate. Yeah. Yes. And we educate. And Esme, we can't, I can't let you go without you praying for us, over us, over leaders in this continent. And yeah, please uh, pray for us if you don't mind. Yeah. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for this opportunity also to share with you today. And I pray that my words actually resonate with you, that God has planted some things in all of your hearts, even as you've been listening to me. Let us pray together. Almighty God, creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe, we come to you as your women that you have called into your kingdom to serve you. 
We pray, oh God, that you would empower us, that you would give us your spirit to guide us, that you will fill us with your wisdom, that we may serve you well at this time, in this generation, at this space in our continent. Help us, Lord, to be world changers, changing the spaces that we are in for you. Help us to be life givers and hope readers so that others might not just look down, but they might look up to you. And, oh, Lord, more than anything, help us to bring shalom wherever we go so that your glory might be seen on our continent. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, thank you so much, Auntie Esme. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your love for me uh, personally. Thank you for praying for me over and over again. And thank you for accepting the call of God in your life and for serving God so faithfully. I am honored to be taught and uh, mentored by you and your daughter. So, and thank you again for saying yes to being part of this recording. So Msingi family, thank you for listening to us, please. Um, I'm not sure if Auntie Esme is on any uh, social media platforms, but uh, I'm sure there's an email so we can find if there are people with questions or looking for guidance, they can email you. So Msingi family, as always, please let's do justice and see you in the next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Kwaheri. If you've been inspired, challenged, and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such, remember to follow us on social media at Musingi Trust, share this podcast with your friends and family, and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, msingikenya at gmail.com patreon at msingikenya or through mpesa plus 254-792-176-030 kwaherini and thank you for joining us